the idea of not have, of, of, of being done with your work and now it's time to refresh yourself is so important. And as we'll see, it's, it's like it's been prescribed to us by God. Like God taught us what rest is. God is the one who has explained to us that rest is important. God is the one who gave us this idea. And so I hope that we can know by the end today um, how important that is and how much we should value it and how to rest properly so that it is effective and it is rejuvenating and it does spur us on towards holiness and greater, greater ability to carry out the mission that God's called us to. Because all of last week was basically one big warning against missing out on rest. Right? He's basically saying, there's this rest that God has promised for the people who have faith in Him. And I'm worried that some of you guys are going to miss out on that rest. Because you are drifting away and you're going to lose your opportunity to really sit down and, and just soak in the goodness of God. The grace of God, this, this rest that He has prepared for you. And I don't want you to miss out on that. And when we pick up today here in chapter 4, He's just going to remind us of that thought. I don't want you to miss out on this. And here's why it's important. So uh, let's just go ahead and jump in here and read. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Um, it starts with therefore. So, so, again, in light of all this stuff that I just said, in light of this case that I said, it is vital that you don't miss out on this. I'm worried that some of you are going to miss out on this. So he's given us this warning. Don't miss out on this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Right? So that's what we were talking about last week. We're worried about the people that might not attain this rest that God has, has built for us. We might miss out on this opportunity that God has intended for us. So, so let us fear. That's our, that should be our attitude. We should worry that somebody might not get this rest that we're going to get. So let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's still quoted from Psalm 95, and he's going to continue to quote from Psalm 95. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he had somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and for those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. And again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. So, again... 
So, again, we start with the same caution, the same warning. I don't want you guys to miss out on this. I don't want you to miss out on this rest. Here's why this rest is so important, because some people have already missed out on it. And if you'll notice in like verse 2, he starts using all of these third-person pronouns. For the news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So who, who is this they that he's referring to? You can, you can answer if you, want, if you want to take a guess. Israel, right. They were given all the information they needed to follow God and enter peacefully into his rest. And they ignored it. They, they disobeyed, they grumbled, they complained. We talked about that last week, how, how God was offering them this promised land, this, this wonderful place that they could go, and, and, and that would be the place that God had promised them. He brought them out of Egypt to deliver them to. And they knew this, and they'd seen what God had done. They'd seen the power that God had. They'd seen the goodness of God to bring them out of slavery. And yet they disobeyed. And so the author is saying, look, I was just talking about this. Israel missed it. They knew. They had their opportunity. But they did not enter into this rest because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Those who, some people get it. Some people see the promise of God, and they, and they listen, and they obey, and they... And they all get excited around the Word of God. Hopefully that's us. Hopefully we're the ones that are reading this and we're excited about the idea that we're united by the same faith and that we're all going to be united in the same rest. You know, Daniel was just praying about people who are scattered all over the country. We, we all know people all over the world, but if we're united by the same faith, then ultimately we're going to be united together in the same rest. We're going to enter into that same rest which we've all been promised. That same rest. And then I think, when you read through here, I kind of see three different examples of rest that are in here. Um, the first one comes in verse 4. And again, he says this, For he has said somewhere, spoken of the seventh day in this way. So, so, he's like, somewhere I heard this thing, knowing that, because he's writing to Hebrews, and Daniel pointed this out, I think, a couple weeks ago, um, Knowing that they know this verse. They know these, the creation account. They know, they know what this phrase is talking about. So he says it that way. That way they have to think of it on their own. Oh yeah, he's talking about creation. For he has said somewhere, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rests on the seventh day from all his works. That first rest, that's, that's the perfect example of rest given to us by God. And that rest came out of completion of a great work that God had done. So that first rest really represents completion, some finishing something. He got to the end of the project that he was working on, and then he took a day and he rested after it. I want you to keep that idea in mind, because we're definitely going to get back to it here in just a few minutes. Um, and that's the perfect example for us. God is the one who showed us what rest is. God is the one who showed us that rest is important because, because God even rested, right? Creator of everything took some time to sit back and look at what he'd done and stop working and just kind of reflect. He got to the end of this major effort and then he sat down and looked at his creation. So 
So that's our perfect example. That was the example we had before sin into the world, before, before sin corrupted everything that God made, before sin corrupted every example that God had given. So, so God had... God had given us the perfect example. This is how I want you to rest. Look at what I do. This is perfect, perfect rest. And then we get to the example in um, verse 8. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Um, so, so Joshua obviously was the successor to Moses. So Moses failed God. And we talked a little bit about how all of Israel had ended up having to wander through the desert. Moses' successor, Joshua, is the one who gets to lead Israel into the promised land, finally, after the wandering for 40 years. We read that last week. He and Caleb were the only two from that wicked generation who actually got to enter into the promised land. So, so Joshua is the one who finally gets to deliver them into the promised land. And that, and if we, uh, if we want to turn to Deuteronomy real quick, we'll read some Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 12. And we'll talk about. I'm going to jump to verse 8 when you get there. We're going to talk about how God viewed what the promised land meant to Israel. So, Deuteronomy chapter 12, we'll pick up in verse 8. And we'll go through 11. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. For you have not yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in that land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and contributions that you present and all your finest vowed offerings that you vow to the Lord. So, so the same kind of terminology is being used. The same words are being used there. Um, God is saying, once you get across the Jordan, once you get into the promised land, that is where I'm going to give you rest. And he even says, I'm going to give you rest from your enemies. You're not going to have to struggle with all of these outside forces that you keep having to battle with. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you this ability to kind of sit down be done at the end of this long journey. And, and seeing how, how wicked and how grumbling and complaining the Israelites have been from what we read last week, I really think that this rest kind of represents a form of reconciliation. Like this is God saying, we're getting back together. You, you, you've served your time. I said I was going to punish you for this amount of time, but I'm still going to deliver on this promise that I give you. I'm still going to give you this rest. And, and for those of us that know the story of how the nation of Israel went from there on, we know that this didn't end up being a perfect rest. This was never, this was never the, the seventh day rest that God experienced where there was no, no stress, no problems on that seventh day during that rest. This was that, this was kind of a picture of the perfect rest that God had given them. And a perfect rest that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But, but it was kind of a sign of God reconciling them back to himself. We talk about that idea of reconciliation. We even talk about it when we say our church's name. Like the idea that, that God is bringing us back together. God is restoring this relationship with us. And though God was wandering with them in the desert, he was taking them where he wanted them to go. They were in the desert because they had rejected God. They had rejected this promised rest. 
They, they, they had missed the opportunity to follow God into this land that he was giving to them. So they had, so that generation missed out on that rest. And it wasn't for 40 years that they would be able to actually enter into that rest that God had given them. So God rests on the seventh day. That, that's a sign of completion. Um, Joshua brings the people into the promised land. I think that's a sign of reconciliation. But again, it's still not perfect rest. And then we get to verse 9 back in Hebrews. And it says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's the future rest that Jesus is able to promise us because of his sacrifice. Um, that, that's, the, that's the consummation of the promise. So you've got completion, reconciliation, I think consummation. That's, that's, the, that's bringing it all to an end. That's, at the end, we all have this promised rest that's brought to us by Jesus. And if you want to stick with our theme through Hebrews, Jesus' rest is better. Jesus gives us a better rest. Because, because the rest that Joshua gave them was incomplete. The rest that Joshua brought the people of Israel into was only a glimpse, only a picture of the rest only a picture of the rest that Jesus was going to be able to give to us. Um, let's get a little bit clearer picture. I'm going to turn to 2 Samuel. Because he, he says in here, I'll let you start turning to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because when he's talking about Joshua, he said, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So, so obviously this wasn't the perfect rest. This wasn't the final one because God mentioned rest again. So we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I'm going to read a longer chunk here. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Okay. Uh, and this is talking about King David who um, well, we'll just read it and you get the context. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all my people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from you, from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And if we know anything about that verse, when he says, your throne shall be established forever, because, because we know that, that the royal line in Israel for a while there was cut off when Israel was taken into captivity. And, and the next king to reign on the throne of David was who? Church answer. What's the church answer here? We can do this. Jesus. Jesus. That was who would establish David's line forever. Jesus was the final fulfillment of that promise to David. Your kingdom will reign forever because your offspring, Jesus, will sit on that throne and he will rule and reign. And Jesus is, again, the perfect example of what David was somewhat giving us a glimpse of. A good king who rules and reigns over us. And what he says here in verse, verse 11, yeah, verse 11, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. So, so he's promising David, your rule is a picture of this eternal lineage that you're going to have, and I'm going to give you rest from your enemies because there's a rest that's going to come at the end of this, a promised rest that's going to be better than the rest I'm giving you now, that's going to be established forever. And that future rest is given to us by Jesus. That's the best rest. That's the perfect rest. That's the rest that restores us back to the original rest that God gave to us. The rest that God showed us. God showed us perfect rest because God is perfect. He created everything and he sat down and he rested. Jesus is the one that's going to bring us back and give us that perfect rest that God is offering. So when you get back into Hebrews, you kind of have to ask yourself, so why does he feel like he needs to reiterate this? What, what's, why does he feel like we have to talk about rest here? Because, because up to this point, he's basically just been trying to build a case that Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. And then he gets into this warning about people are going to fail to enter the rest. And i got to talk about how important rest is because I don't want you to feel like you're going to miss out. So why is this important? Why? Because, because by the time Jesus got there, right? Right. So we have this law, we have the Sabbath, which was a commanded day to stop working to rest. And we were given, and, we, and the law was given, and the, the Sabbath day was prescribed so that the people would stop and reflect on the goodness of God and reflect on the provision that God had made for them. And the fact that they could just sit back and trust that God has taken care of them. And they could have a day to do nothing but just reflect on Him and worship Him and be thankful for what He has provided for them. But by the time Jesus got on the scene, the whole idea of Sabbath rest had been corrupted. If you were in my CG while we were at Heritage, you have seen this example before. You had the law, right? So you had, you had the law, and, and over time, the Pharisees and the church leaders started building up all these layers around the law. You know where I'm going with this. 
And they added all of these rules. There you go, that's for Andy. All of these rules that have built up around the outside of the law. Right? So you had the law and you had the rules. And the rules kept people from breaking the law. So they added all these extra rules to protect themselves from ever getting anywhere near breaking the law. The problem was they started worshiping the rules. And, and the rules distorted the intent behind the law. So, so where when, when God commanded the Sabbath, it, it was commanded to be restful, rejuvenating, reflecting on the goodness of God, coming at the end of hard work. And instead, they added all of these burdens and they made it harder to go about your life. It, we see the example of Jesus who heals somebody with a, with a crippled hand on the Sabbath and say, see, you can't do that, that's sin. And he says, if you're going to tell me that I can't heal somebody on the Sabbath, you have missed the point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't about feeling constrained and limited. The Sabbath is about sitting down and reflecting on how freed we are in the rest that God has given us. And so the author of Hebrews here is saying, I think that we still have some hold over from that mindset. I think that some of us are still missing the point of what rest is. So I need to reestablish what true biblical rest is. And I think that's good for us too because I think we sometimes miss what rest is. Um, because rest, like we talked about before, the, the, the promise of Israel entering into the promised land or, or God resting on the seventh day of creation... Both of those are, are pictures of what our rest is going to be like when we reach heaven, when we reach the end, when we reach the final promise that God has made for us, that we are going to be given this eternal rest, this rest that we're all going to get to enter into. The first two, those first two are just a picture, they're a glimpse, they're, they're an example of what it's going to be like. They're, they're something for us to look back to and remember, oh, that is kind of what God was talking about. That's what... And, and if you were an Israelite, as he's writing to here, if you were, if you were from Israel, you know that story, and you you heard about how awful wandering in the desert was. And maybe you feel now like you are wandering in a desert. Maybe now you feel like life is rough, things are terrible. I mean, you got to think. This book was probably written what around I don't know, 60, 70 A.D. Uh, if you look at church history, what, what's happening in the world of the church right now? Bad stuff. There's lots of persecution going on. From, from not only the established church, but from the government. Everywhere they go. I mean, we read about that all through the book of Acts. So they may sometimes feel like they are like Israel, wandering in the desert just waiting to die. Right? This is no fun. This is rough. This is terrible. Why would God save us and bring us together and make our life terrible? Right? And sometimes I think we feel that way too. Right? Why does God call us to go plant a church? Plant a church. Because it's tough. We thought it was going to be awesome. And it is awesome. But it's tough. It's tougher than I think I realized. I think I was trying to tell myself this is going to be really hard. This is going to be a challenge. And then we started from like, oh. Oh, that, that's different. That, that's more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And so he gives us this reminder. This is the rest that's coming for you. 
No rest that God has given you up to this point is that perfect rest. This is just a glimpse. This is just a reminder of what God is going to give to you. And I don't want you to, to look at that rest and think, that's not as good as it could be. I think I'm just going to make it more comfortable for myself now and then miss out on that, that perfect rest altogether. And also, I don't want us to get distracted by adding layers around what God is really asking us to do when he's asking us to rest. Because, because if we miss the point of rest and we rest incorrectly, then what good does it do? do are our lives reflecting who Jesus is? Are our lives reflecting the point of the reason why we rest. Does that make sense? Like, like, like if we don't rest correctly, if we, if, and we'll talk about this in a second, if we don't do anything, if we're like, I have to rest, so I'm going to rest, and I'm not going to do anything, are we really going to effectively point people who see us living our life that way towards Jesus? And the answer is no. Or what if we work so hard that we never rest but well, we're going to show people that we think it's all about the things that we do that are going to get us to heaven. And that's going to miss the point of rest as well. So when do you rest? What's, what's the purpose of rest? Uh, let's, just think about, let's just think about when you sleep. We'll just use that because we all theoretically do that. We've all theoretically done that recently. When you are going to sleep at night, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking, I need to go to sleep so I have energy for tomorrow? Or are you thinking, I need to go to sleep because I am tired from the work today? What's your mindset when you go to bed? This is a weird thought, and it might be kind of both. You can go ahead and talk, it's okay. Uh, I thought you were going to No, you can answer. Mine's usually like, for what I have to do. Right, yeah. I think that's most of us. Like, I need to go to bed now because I have to get up at this time and I have to go do this thing. And if I don't get enough sleep, then I'm not going to be effective at that. I was reading... I'll pick up here in verse 9. We'll read 9 and 10 again. I want to try to build a case here. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did for That example is God did from his. God didn't rest on the first day to get himself ready for a really stressful six days of building after that. God worked hard for six days, and then at the end of that, took a day to rest. And because days are cyclical, you know, they kind of go in a circle. It, 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 yeah, you're going to bed at the end of the day and you're getting up at the beginning of the next one. But it seems like if our going to bed was a cause for us to reflect back on what we have done that day, that our mindset as we go to bed might be less of, oh, this is what I have to do. And instead be thinking about, oh man, look at what God did for Have you ever seen that um, ASICS commercial that's on right now? The guy that like wakes up in the morning and just takes off running 
and he goes to this first, and he goes like, he's like doing cardio, and he says, I gotta go. And he takes off running, and he goes and plays volleyball, and then he's like, I gotta go. And then he goes and plays tennis, I gotta go. Then he goes and he runs with a group, he's like, I gotta go. And he keeps running, 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 running. What's the last shot of that commercial? God passes out on his bed. He just falls back and he falls asleep. I think that's the idea of what kind of rest should feel like. Because if you think about that, if you had a day where you were just running, 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 the way he is in this commercial, by the end of the day, when you lay down in your bed, you're going to feel like, I have done something today. I have accomplished something today. And I am enjoying this rest that I now get to enter into at the end of this day. So I think of rest as being more rejuvenating rather than preparing, preparative, preparative, you know that word? Um, I think of it as something as, I, I have accomplished what God intended for me to do today, and now I'm going to rest at the completion of that, instead of, I can stay up and do whatever I want, but I'm going to go to bed because I want to go, I want to go do this tomorrow. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, we shouldn't take into account the next day, like, I'm not saying we should work and work and work until we just collapse, because that's not the point either. The point is, entering into rest, we see this promise of entering into rest and we work toward that goal. Because, because I think there are, there are kind of two categories for people when it comes to rest. Because I don't think any of us rest perfectly the way, the way God did on the seventh day. If you do, please tell me how it works. But I know I don't, I don't do this right. So there's two kinds of people. There's those of us who don't rest well at all. And that's those of us who, I say those of us, this is not me. This is those of you who never stop, never take a break, never reflect, and you keep going and going and going and going and going and going and going until you burn out. And when you burn out, the rest that you have is not restful because you are still thinking about where you are going and going and going from there. Or you rest, you work so hard, so long, and you never stop that you are not able to fully enjoy that rest. I don't know if you've ever been so tired that when you try to go to sleep, you can't. Because you've been going and going, and you're not taking full advantage of this rest. But some of us have this problem where, where we don't stop and reflect on the goodness of God. We don't take time to just peacefully enter into rest. And yeah, we have a rest coming for us that's going to be eternal at the end of this, but... but Jesus didn't say the Sabbath was a bad idea. Jesus said, you guys are missing the point of what the Sabbath was for. It's for you to stop and reflect on the goodness of God. It's for you to stop and take a break and refresh so that you can be more effective workers once you go back to work. So some of us have to learn how to rest and when to rest and when to take a day, when to take some time. Some of us rest too well. And that's probably where I find myself more often than not. It's really easy for me to just say, I'm going to reflect on the goodness of God in bed for one more hour. <laughs> I'm going to reflect on the goodness of God as I watch this football game. 
or as I go do this thing, or as I, I don't really play video games much anymore, but as I play this video game, or as I, whatever, and we call it rest, but our rest takes us through 4 a.m. in the morning. It's our relaxation thing, and then we're up till 4, and then we don't really enter into rest because we're going to have to get up at 7 or 8, and we've only gotten 3 hours of sleep, or 4 hours of sleep, or, or, or whatever. Or what have we accomplished? What if, if I think of, when I think of rest, I think I'm just going to go do something for me. What has my rest accomplished, or what are my goals? Or, or some of us are resting having not done any work up to that point. God rested after, after six days of creating everything. Like, there was nothing, and then there was everything six days later. I would think that you can rest after that kind of work. I kind of go back to that ASICS commercial. I mean, they make it, they, they, they play it off kind of like it's a recreation thing. You don't have fun. But if you think of that as work, like he's, have, he's working hard all day at the things he's doing. Maybe those are the things that he does. Today. I don't know. I'm not going to dive into the backstory of the guy in the ASICS commercial. But, but his whole day, he's going after something. He's working towards something. He hasn't intended. It, it's not dead time. It's not, it's not uncommitted, just free time where you have nothing really to do. He, he obviously had an intended schedule to that whole commercial. Like, like, I have to go. I'm done with this thing. I have to move on to the next thing. There's no idle time. I know we said this in different groups. Idle time is a bad thing. Can be. So what do we do when we have idle time? That's the question. What do we do with our idle time? And I think that we can, we, can, we can redeem idle time as something for the glory of God. I want us all to work hard so that when we get to the end of the day, I want us all to be on mission all day so that by the end of the day, we're work, we've worked hard and now we're ready to rest. We're ready to, to go to bed thinking about what we have done that day for the church, for the mission that God has called us to. Even if that's at our job, whether that's at school, wherever that is. But I don't want us to think, I've got the new day, I'm just going to chill, and then I'll go to bed tonight. That's not working to get to enter into rest. Rest comes at the end of being united in faith. Rest comes at the end of chasing after God, pursuing Christ-likeness. And following the mission that he's called us to. That's when we get to enter into rest. We don't get to rest after we've done nothing. Does that make sense? Rest comes at the end of hard work. He never said, I'm going to save you, and then it's going to be vacation for however long, and then you get to come rest some more. He said, I'm going to save you, you're going to go to work, and when you're done with your work, then you get to rest. And I want that to be our mindset, because, because, because like he's trying to say, rest is a good thing. Rest, rest, Rest can glorify God. Rest is something that God did. Rest is an example that we've been given. So we should know how and when to rest, but we should also know what should build up to that rest. And it shouldn't just be idle, sitting around doing nothing. We get to rest after we've done something for the king.
God. The kingdom of God is the big picture. The rest is something that comes at the end of our work for the kingdom of God. Cool? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and I want 